Welcome back, Patriots. When we left off, things weren't going so well for the Continental Army. George Washington was on the run and we had lost some important battles. Are you ready to find out what happens next? Well, on Christmas Day of 1776, George Washington took his troops across the Delaware River. He took a big chance. Did it pay off? Today, we're going to find out all about that historic day. Hi. My name is Lucas, I'm seven, and I live in Maryland. Uh, why did George Washington cross the Delaware River in the winter? How did George Washington get the boats and the can across the Delaware River? Who was in George Washington's boat with him? What did George Washington looked like when he was four years old. Those are really good questions, Lucas. Now we're going to talk to a historian who can answer all of them for you and tell us some cool stories about that day. Becknell and I am the volunteer coordinator at Washington Crossing Historic Park. Um, I've actually been in the museum field since I was in college for about 15 years now, which is hard to believe. Uh, but as the volunteer coordinator, I obviously work with all the volunteers. Um, and I'm also uh, working on different education programs, a lot of our distance learning programs and things, especially Given coronavirus and how things have changed, um, I'm heading up a lot of that. And then I also give tours at Washington Crossing Historic Park. All right. Well, let's get down to Lucas's questions. The first, one, the first one is pretty straightforward. Why did George Washington cross the Delaware River? That is a wonderful question, uh, Lucas. Thank you so much for your questions, by the way. Um, so why does Washington cross the Delaware River? Well, I did listen to the most uh, recent Growing Patriots podcast about uh, the New York and New Jersey campaign. As you guys learned about in the last podcast, things are not going real well for George Washington, right? So he's lost all these battles in New York and New Jersey that we learned about there. Um, and he's had to retreat from Long Island all the way to where we're located, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, about 30 miles outside of Philadelphia. Um, so he's losing these battles, um, which I always like to say, think of this, think of like your favorite sports teams. So personally for me, uh, right now that is the Philadelphia Eagles. So we're just going to use the Philadelphia Eagles as an example. Uh, so let's say the Philadelphia Eagles have lost six or seven games straight. And we're not even talking close games. We're talking they get blown out 42 to nothing. Like it is embarrassing. Are we thinking the Philadelphia Eagles are the best team ever? We're going to win the Super Bowl. Probably not. <laughs> More likely we're going, you know, maybe this is a rebuilding year. Maybe we need a new coach. Maybe we need to rethink this. So he's not exactly inspiring a lot of trust in him, in his generals. Um, actually, at the time of the crossing, General Gates is on his way to uh, Congress to 
tell them you need to fire Washington, you need to hire me. Um, he is about to lose his army. Uh, the majority of the men's enlistments are up either December 31st or January 1st. Uh, so they're going home. Um, the British and Hessians are encamped across the river. 1,500 Hessians are in Trenton. And the fear is they'll march across the river and they will head into Philadelphia, which is the capital. So Washington knows he has to do something. So that's a long answer. That's why he feels he has to cross the river. But the short version of your answer, he crosses the river so that he can go with his 2,400 men and fight the first battle of Trenton, which is fought against 1,500 Hessians in Trenton. All right. Yeah. And then Lucas was also wondering, and you kind of answered this just with the timing, but why did he do this in the winter? Why on Christmas? Right. So why does he do it in the winter? As I said, it's kind of, he has to do it now or never, uh, pretty much. So like I said, he knows that he's about to lose his army. The men's majority of the men's enlistments are up um, at the end of the year. Uh, so these guys are losing all the time. Many of them are in summer clothes, no shoes on their feet. Uh, the summer clothes are both because Congress and Washington, they're not able to adequately uh, supply their soldiers, give their soldiers what they need. And if you are losing a battle, you may not have time to grab your stuff in the middle of that. It's just kind of, we gotta go, get out, get out now. Uh, plus, as we are running and retreating through New York and New Jersey, the British and Hessians actually attack the Americans' baggage wagons. So we're also losing things on the road. So in December, you're losing all the time. You're in summer clothes, no shoes on your feet. You haven't been paid in months, and you're not being fed real well. I don't know about you guys. I'm not going to willingly sign up for another year of it. No, um, I want to go home. <laughs> absolutely. I also always mention that uh, personally, my husband, who's actually in the office next door, has been in the Air Force for 16 years. And I've told him, if you are in the conditions Washington's army is in leading up to this crossing, it may be time to rethink your career because things are that bad. So these guys are going home at the end of the year. The fear is that the British and Hessians will take the capital of Philadelphia, about 30 miles from where we're located. Um, and it, the, if you, in European warfare, if you capture the capital, you have won the war. So Washington knows if he doesn't do something right now, the war is over. So that's why he basically says it's now or never. Yeah, absolutely. So it's cold, they're cold. <laughs> it's time to get across the river. How did George Washington just get the boats across and all the equipment? He, Lucas was especially curious about those heavy cannons. That is a wonderful question, Lucas. I love this question. So first of all, with the cold, it's not just that it is cold. There's actually um, a nor'easter. So if anybody's from the nor Northeast, you may know what a nor'easter is. Um, but those who are not, personally, I'm originally from the Midwest, so I didn't really know what a nor'easter was until I experienced it. Um, it's like a giant blizzard. Um, the soldiers actually said that there was a complete whiteout, that it is basically a blizzard, you cannot see anything. So 
it's very cold. Um, Washington does have what's known as Durham boats, um, which are large cargo boats um, used to get across the river. They're about 60 feet long total. Um, but for getting the horses and the cannon across, Lucas, um, he actually used the two ferries that we controlled. So Washington crosses between what is known as McConkie's Ferry, which is located at uh, where the Washington Crossing Bridge is today, right at the park, and Johnson's Ferry, uh, which is, there's an island out in the river uh, today, so the end of the island out there. So these two ferries are the main way to get across the river in the 18th century. So Washington puts the horses and the cannon on those ferries. Um, a six-pounder cannon, like what Alexander Hamilton commands, uh, just the cannon part actually weighs about six to 700 pounds. You add on the carriage, it's well over a thousand. You can't lift that into a boat and you're not gonna be able to convince a horse to get in a boat, much less convincing the animal to stay in the boat in the middle of a frozen river blizzard crossing and then convince the animal to get out. So both of those go across on the two flat ferries. It's mostly the men going across in the boats. Uh, the crossing itself took about 12 hours to do, but that's not one crossing. That's getting all 2,400 men plus uh, 50 to 75 horses and 18 cannons across. Yeah, so they had to go back and forth mm -hmm. times. <laughs> so when they were going back and forth, Lucas was curious who got to be in George Washington's boat. Ah, that I don't know for sure. I'll be honest, I'm not sure who specifically is in George Washington's boat. Um, certainly like some of his uh, close figures, like uh, what's known as his lifeguard probably would have been, but I don't know for sure. Um, probably though the most famous image of this crossing is the Emanuel Leutze painting uh, where Washington's standing up in the boat. Um, I don't have the image on me right now, but I'll, I'll uh, share it with the episode for sure. Yeah. Fabulous. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so one thing that I always love pointing out is Leitza gets a lot of things wrong in that painting, but one thing he does, I will also say in get, saying he gets it wrong, this painting is done about 70 years after the crossing and there's no photographs and things, and he's not trying to show it exactly as it happened. He's trying to tell a story about all these people coming together to support George Washington and the revolution and inspire those ideals in his country of what became Germany. Um, but one thing he does get right in relation to Lucas's question is there's an African-American in Lloyd's boat. Um, so sorry, that's my husband crossing behind me. Um, so one of the figures that, he, or one of the groups really important in getting not just Washington, but all the guys across are the Marbleheaders. Um, it's a unit from Marblehead, Massachusetts, led by Colonel John Glover. Um, so the Marbleheaders, these are sailors. These guys uh, grew up on the river, many of them. Um, and uh, they're very used to crossing and, and to being on the water in the middle of storms. Uh, they're integral also in the battles in New York and uh, getting us out of New York, but this is an integrated unit. So free African-Americans are really important, possibly being in George Washington's boat or just in getting these 2,400 men across in general. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful to tell those stories. 
it's mm -hmm. yeah um okay so you were talking about photographs and we didn't have those then and paintings we even paintings we don't have very many and we don't know how accurate right. they are so here is lucas's question that we might not know but he was wondering what george washington looked like when he was a kid when he was four Ooh. years old so we don't know for sure what george washington looked like as a little boy um we we don't know or at least i don't know uh what we do know is that when he crosses um in 1776 he's about 44 years old so in that painting by emmanuel loita uh one of the things that loita gets wrong is that he paints washington having all these gray hairs but he's 44 like probably not that that old um not that gray hair um but he's washington is also said to be about six two um which is pretty tall especially at this time so uh he's said to be about six two um and the average height for an american man at the time of the revolution is about five eight five nine okay. today it's between five ten and six foot so they are a little shorter but not by much so washington said to be about a head taller than his men which if he's 6'2", and the average guy's about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, that's about a head taller than his men. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Now, are there any um, maybe fun, lesser known stories about the crossing? Ah, uh, well, I mentioned uh, the marble headers. They're one of my faves, uh, most definitely. Um, there's also the story of uh, a soldier named John Greenwood who actually said uh, that the worst part for him was not making the crossing, not getting in this freezing boat or it, getting in this boat, crossing a frozen river, having been told previously, bring three days rations and a blanket. That's the only information these guys are given is that until you show up and are told you're gonna make this crossing. He said the worst part was actually waiting on the bank on the opposite side. Um, while the boats crossed back and forth because if he faced the fire his backside was cold and if he turned away from the fire his front side was cold so he said the only way to keep himself from dying of hypothermia was to keep turning himself round and round in circles uh, like on a spit uh, it's a really funny image of this soldier having to keep turning it around, is. And around but it really uh, tells you about the conditions yeah uh there's also, um, the story of 18-year-old James Monroe. Um, so James Monroe is a pretty famous name. Um, he later becomes the fifth president of the United States. But in 1776, he's not that much older than some of our listening audience. He is 18 years old. Um, he does not cross with George Washington. He crosses about seven miles north of the crossing, but he does cross with Washington's cousin, William. He is on site at the park. He, uh, for three weeks leading up to the crossing, he stays on the property of the Thompson Neely House, which is part of Washington Crossing Historic Park today. But when the 3rd Virginia Regiment goes across uh, farmer's fields in New Jersey, they're making sure there's no scouts leading up to uh, Trenton to go, no Hessians to go warn the mm. Hessians that were coming. Um, they go across the farmer's fields in the New, in New Jersey and that farmer came out with a musket and goes, hey, get off my land. He thinks they're British. Um, but when the farmer realizes 
who they are, that they're Americans, he goes, hey, I support the cause and I'm a doctor, so I'll go with you to Trenton. And it's a really good thing that Dr. Riker, we know his name, Dr. Riker does that because uh, that uh, 18 year old James Monroe is shot in the shoulder during the first battle of Trenton. Now, likely he would have died, he would have bled out, um, but that farmer, Dr. Riker, he got in there, he stopped the bleeding, he saved James Monroe's life. Um, wow. And I always say, very, I would say it's hard to play what if history, you know, if this okay. is different, then all these other things could be different. But in this case, I always say, I think it's fair to say without the 3rd Virginia Regiment coming across Dr. Riker's fields and Dr. Riker going out with that musket, we never would have ended up with a President James Monroe. How else that changes history? Who knows? Um, another fun story, um, not from the crossing, but related to the 10 crucial days, uh, because the crossing leads into the win at the first battle of Trenton, December 26th, which then leads to the win at the second battle of Trenton, January 2nd, and the battle of Princeton, January 3rd, uh, 1777. Um, at the battle of Princeton, um, Captain Alexander Hamilton, who's 19, is uh, was stationed in the town of Princeton, and um, there's a legend. He his uh, unit was firing um, cannonballs at the core of Princeton University, or what's now the core of Princeton University, Nassau Hall. There's a legend that one of Alexander Hamilton's cannonballs goes into Nassau Hall and takes off the head of the painting of King George II. Is that part true? We don't know, but we know his cannonballs hit Nassau Hall and that painting story is a really fun one. Um, it is. Yeah. And I guess the other uh, interesting story would have to be, again, related to Alexander Hamilton is Captain Lieutenant James Moore who's buried on our property um, at Thompson Neely House, part of the park. Um, so for anybody that's a fan of Hamilton the Musical, which I definitely am, um, if you know the song Right Hand Man, then you know how, and credit where credit is due, Lin-Manuel Miranda gets those battles in New York and New Jersey, right? You know how Hamilton fights throughout the battles in New York and New Jersey. Uh, Captain Lieutenant James Moore in December is 24 years old from New York. He's the second in command to Alexander Hamilton. Um, and he is appointed actually less than a sentence after Hamilton, literally a comma or a semicolon separates their appointments. Um, and he was right by Hamilton's side throughout those battles in New York and New Jersey. He gets really sick with a disease we know today as typhus um, and actually dies of that disease December 25th. Just a coincidence, not involved in the crossing. He's buried on the property of the park. And on March 6th, 1777, Alexander Hamilton wrote a letter. Uh, in the letter, he says, his excellency has been pleased to appoint me one of his aide-de-camps. So again, for Hamilton, the musical fans, we see that on stage where Hamilton becomes Washington's right-hand man. And Hamilton's next line is Captain Lieutenant James Moore, a promising officer who did credit to the state he belonged to, died the 25th of December after a short but excruciating fit of illness. Wow. 
Well, I think that is it for Lucas's questions and my bonus questions at the end. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. We're gonna go over everything we learned in this episode. But first, I just wanna remind you that like with every episode, there will be videos, pictures, and all kinds of links at growingpatriots.com that go along with this one. Also, if you stick around at the end, and stick around at the end to hear more about everything that Washington Crossing Historic Park has going on during the pandemic. They've got lots of fun things for kids to do at home to learn all about this event and other things in history. Okay, so here's what we learned this week. Things were not going well for the American Continental Army and George Washington had retreated to Pennsylvania. Enlistments were going to be up pretty soon, which meant that his soldiers were going to be able to go home. So he knew that he had to move now and do something big, especially because the British and the Hessian soldiers were across the river. They could not capture Philadelphia, which was the capital at the time, or they might feel that they had won the entire war and a lot of people might agree with them. So Washington had to stop them before that happened. And that's why he crossed in the winter. That's just when all of this came. But not only did he have to get all of those soldiers across, they had things like horses and heavy cannons. So how did they get those across? They put those things on ferries instead of in the smaller boats. The smaller boats were really just for the men. So who was in George Washington's boat? Well, we really don't know. We can get some clues from that famous painting, which you will see at growingpatriots.com, but we really don't have any record of who was in the boat with him. Speaking of paintings and historical records, we also don't know what George Washington looked like when he was a kid. Sorry, Lucas, there just aren't any records of that. What we do know is that an adult, George Washington was really tall. He was 6'2", and at the time that was a lot taller than most of his men. Washington crossing the Delaware River is also an important lesson in remembering that one little thing can change an awful lot in history. What if we hadn't retreated to Philadelphia? What if Washington hadn't crossed that day? What if we hadn't beat the Hessians and the British soldiers? We really don't know. Another what if? What if the soldiers had never met Dr. Riker, who then saved James Monroe, who then became president? There's an awful lot that hung in these few days and it changed American history. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit growingpatriots.com for all of the resources that go with this episode and to check out the Growing Patriots books. You can also find us at Growing Patriots on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you, and I can't wait to see you next time. Bye. So um, you brought up all the, the socially distanced um, events. What, what kind of things can families expect if they come visit? Absolutely. So that's something I am working on right now, actually. Um, so in what my husband likes to call the before times, you know, pre-COVID, pre-coronavirus, uh, we did have annual events. Um, and we're certainly hoping eventually to be able to return to those annual events and uh, in-person school programs and things, but obviously COVID has changed a lot, not just for museums, but for the entire world. Um, so things like our uh, annual crossing this year, we are planning to do virtually because we have reenacted Washington's crossing in some form for 
Last year was our 67th year. So this year would have been 68. Um, even in years where the Coast Guard would say, hey, no, it's not safe. We can't actually put you in boats. Our guys would cross the bridge, um, which you would be surprised at the number of people that come to the park and ask, why didn't they take the bridge? Um, the bridge that's there now did not exist at the time. Um, but, you know, if you can't, if the Coast Guard says in, you know, the modern times we can't get in a boat, then we'll cross the bridge. But in the 2019 at our dress rehearsal, we had 3,100 people there. And for Christmas Day, we had between seven and 10,000 people. And that's just not possible to take those numbers and bring them down to 100 and 250. Of course, of course. Okay. So will the crossing so, still happen, but be live streamed? It'll be live streamed or, or not live streamed. It'll be streamed. So we're going to film it on a different day and then we'll we'll stream it on Christmas Day. Um, but what we are working on are different distance learning programs. We've developed what's called Camp in a Box. Um, which we sold out of our first run of that. And I'm currently working on doing the second run. Um, that is exactly what it sounds like, where there are 20, over 20 activities that we normally would offer as part of our uh, hands-on full day summer camp uh, that lasts a week. But we give you the supplies and a little bit of the history and the instructions and put it in a box and send it to you. And then you can make these at home. Um, Fun. They cost about $25 right now. And um, parents do have to supply some things. There's always a list of what parents supply. I really strove to make sure that these camp in a boxes, if parents were supplying things, they're things that you can find around the house um, or with a trip to the grocery store, you know, scissors, glue, um, pen and pencil, crayons. Um, for the grocery store things, you know, we may not give you the lemon juice to make invisible ink or the berries to make your own ink or the ingredients for cooking, but for butter making, we'll give you the jar and then you just hit the store for some cream, uh, things like that. So like I said, we really strive to make sure that it's, it's things that very easily you can pick up. There's also, uh, we're working on history chests, which are touch trucks. Uh, those will be available in the spring, and um, we have a touch trunk that is available for classrooms and libraries, Girl Scout and Boy Scout troops, uh, focused on cooking. We have one focused on uh, education in the colonial era, things like quill pen writing, spies, um, schools, different things like that. And then um, I'm also working on uh, virtual programs, uh, whether that's over Zoom or Skype in the classroom. Uh, our intern this summer, Allison, actually developed one uh, about the women who uh, worked with all three of these armies, the camp followers, which is something personally as a military spouse, I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. And we also have ones coming up about uh, patriots and loyalists, which mm -hmm. looks at the different people at, in Bucks County where we're located and the different opinions that they had uh, during the time. So lots of different things. wonderful, yes. <laughs> yeah. And we're also looking at ways that we can take these annual events that normally are in person and like pivot them, as we say, you know, maybe we take 
something that normally is in person, we do it virtually with a um, activity packet that you can download, or maybe we do it in small groups where you Mm-hmm. Um, get your tickets online and things like that. So we're working on how we can how you, we can do that looking into 2021 as well. They freed us all from tyranny. We stand for things for liberty. And they fought so we would be America, land of the free. Distributed by FCB Radio Network. <laughs>